Hello and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Megid Mandur, a political analyst and writer for Open Democracy and Sada, and I'm very pleased to say a regular contributor to the Arab Digest newsletter. Last time we had Megid on, we focused on Egyptian President Sisi's domestic policies, and to launch our first podcast of 2022, I've asked him back to look at Sisi's foreign policy approaches. Megid, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy uh, to be back. Now, when we consider President Sisi's foreign policy objectives, through what lens should we be viewing them? Well, if we generally want to look at the regime, if we look at the rationale um, of its, let's say, general uh, policy framework, they are really looking at one main thing, which is keeping themselves in uh, power. And if you look at it from uh, that perspective, you can see that all of, like most of the foreign policies that they are trying to follow are subservient to this um, uh, objective. The regime doesn't really have any clear regional goals. They're not really aiming to compete with uh, uh, the Saudis, for example, uh, or the uh, Emiratis, or the Turks even. The basic idea there is to have a policy that would make sure that they, that they remain in uh, uh, power for as long as they can. And that's the main rationale, that's, that's, that's how they think, that's how they uh, uh, operate. So it's, let's say, a very um, domestic-focused uh, uh, foreign policy, uh, if that will make sense to you. Yeah, well, and you've made the point in Arab Digest articles that Sisi's mega-projects are funded by borrowing. So how much of his foreign policy is, is tied to an urgent need to find the money to pay for these grand projects that he's engaged, embarked in? Well, I mean, that's a very important point because the debt there actually played multiple roles. So the debt, in a way, is a way for the regime to... Uh, entrench itself in the global financial system in a way that would make sure that it survives for very, very, very long. So the way that it works is that the regime uh, borrows money uh, internationally and uh, uh, domestically, and there is a trend to rely more on foreign loans and uh, foreign uh, investors, even when uh, the debt is uh, domestic, right? So the basic idea from that is that the interest rates being paid are extremely high, one of the highest in the world. Um, And this is somehow financed by a very regressive taxation system. So in reality, what this means is that there is a systematic transfer of wealth from the lower end and the um, uh, middle classes to the international creditors and the uh, broader uh, financial uh, system, uh, the uh, international one. So this makes sure that the regime is not just too big to fail, but in a way it becomes too profitable to fail. And it also lays down major, um, let's say, uh, obstacles if the regime actually changes, because the government that will take over afterwards will face a very difficult situation, which is do we now pay all of this debt and how and from where, um, or do we default 
and if they choose the 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 uh, the false route, the consequences will be uh, gigantic. So the regime is making sure, in a way, that its survival is basically tied to uh, the interest of uh, international creditors. And those are very powerful people, uh, very powerful states. So it's a way for it not just to build those mega projects, but to make sure that it remains in power for as long as it can. Yeah, when you put the point in the the bigger you are, the harder it is for you to fail. And the fear, of course, these these investors uh, would be that uh, they don't want to see that failure. And as you say, they're making a lot of money with those high interest rates. Absolutely. Yes, yes. CC's military spending, there's another area. It's it spiraled over the past few years, especially from France and other European countries. So what's the motivation there? So uh, if you would look at the military spending, you would kind of assume that CC is somehow preparing for a traditional war um, or he is trying to compete internationally or uh, regionally with the likes of uh, Turkey's or the Saudis. Uh, you would think maybe he would be uh, involved in, in uh, Yemen, supporting uh, the Saudis there, uh, especially after they basically floated the regime between 2013 and 2014. Uh, in reality, he is following a very conservative foreign uh, uh, policy and he has no desire to uh, be uh, engaged in, in uh, operations outside of uh, his borders. So the reason for such a massive military spending is very similar to the one of the debt. There is massive uh, arms uh, transfers, uh, particularly uh, from France. They are now the number one supplier. Uh, followed by the Russians and the uh, uh, Americans, and this has created a very strong alliance between uh, the regime and the Europeans, because this uh, also includes uh, the Germans and the uh, Italians, um, in a way that I think we haven't seen before. So, um, for example, it was leaked, I think, a month ago, that in the western uh, desert there was uh, a massive uh, operation. The goal was to uh, theoretically uh, fight uh, militants coming in from Libya. Uh, however, it basically turned into a, a anti-smuggler operation, uh, which in the end led to mass civilian uh, casualties. What is new in this is that this was done using French uh, intelligence with uh, embedded uh, French uh, personnel with the Egyptian military. As far as I'm aware, this hasn't happened since the Soviets were uh, involved with Egypt, basically, in uh, the 1960s and, uh, and uh, the 1970s. So this just shows how deeply entrenched the relationship is. This is a very strong uh, alliance. Um, and that, of course, once again creates major uh, uh, obstacles towards the regime even lightening its repression at least uh, uh, um, marginally because it really doesn't have to so the arms deals act in this way also there is a darker side of it is that it could potentially be used 
to uh, suppress any violent uh, protests or upheaval or uh, revolts or, or outbreak, uh, which will happen at some point, uh, considering how uh, the situation is, is, is uh, developing. This, uh, this operation that you described, where there were heavy civilian casualties, which side of the border was it carried out on, the Libyan side or, or, or on the... That was uh, the Libyan side, uh, correct. That was on uh, the Libyan side. Uh, so this was carried, I think, from 2016 or from 2015. I can remember the year for a, uh, for about four years. Uh, and based on the data from the regime, they have uh, destroyed uh, 10,000 four by four cars. So if the figure is correct, we're talking about mass like mass casualties. I'm not sure if this figure is correct or not because that would be uh, unheard of, really. And it became clear to the French that the goal was not to fight militants, but to actually uh, destroy the smuggling uh, networks, which is mostly uh, civilian, without any uh, due process, without any uh, judicial oversight in any way, shape or form. So that, uh, of course, is uh, a clear case of, uh, let's say, uh, extrajudicial killings on a mass scale and the difficulty of course is that the French knew like the officers there became aware they raised the concerns but that was just uh, ignored so it's basically showing where we are and this form of, 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 of very deeply entrenched alliances is very to say the least problematic for the French and I don't know really where this will go, but it, it's going further because the regime now will buy more fighter jets, uh, which are financed on credit as well. So this means that it is a combination of the uh, arms sales plus the debt uh, instruments in one. <laughs> so um, it's a difficult situation. Now. We've moved into the Libya scenario, so let's continue with that. Uh, the election of a new president was supposed to happen on the 24th of December. It uh, was postponed, and among those running were Aguila Saleh, the Speaker of the Eastern-based House of Representatives, and of course the warlord Halifa Haftar, both of them at various times backed by Cairo. But I'm just wondering, uh, you mentioned that uh, basically all of this military expenditure is not intended for any foreign adventures. Uh, CC has pretty much pulled back from any military engagement whatsoever in Libya, but where does he stand or does he have much interest in whoever finally emerges as a, as a leader in Libya? Well, uh, Egypt, uh, as you said, like the, the, the idea that the regime is going to militarily intervene, even when they said that they have a red line in uh, CERT, that wasn't really a realistic option. Uh, this was never going to happen because the regime is primarily concerned with its domestic base, and that base is relatively fragile. So if you go into, uh, into a, a, a conflict that will basically drain resources, uh, lead to uh, casualties, that's not going to be accepted well. So there is no real fear of them actually intervening, but they are being more pragmatic in, in Libya. The primary goal there is to get the Turks out whenever they can. Um, so they are, I mean, Haftar remains their man, 
even though they've lost a lot of faith in him after he failed at uh, uh, Tripoli, so they're now hedging their bets. They are trying to maintain good, or let's say better, um, relations with uh, the parties involved, uh, and they want the Turks out as quickly as they could, so the uh, elections actually would have worked in that goal, uh, but it was also not a real realistic option to have uh, elections in uh, Libya, kind of considering the overall situation. Moving on to Raza and Israel, Cairo brokered a truce after the short war of last May. It's a fragile truce, but, but how anxious is Sisi to stay in Israel's good books versus any concerns that he may have for the Palestinians? Well, I don't think he has really uh, any concerns for the Palestinians per se. Um, the days when uh, Egypt was kind of playing this mediation role, I think, are far gone. Uh, Egypt is now a very close Israeli um, uh, ally, uh, not uh, only in the security uh, sphere, but there are major deals in uh, the gas uh, sector. Uh, so the alliance is very, very, very strong. So what Egypt is actually trying to do, or what Sisi is, to be more accurate, is to subdue and to uh, co-opt uh, Hamas. So they have a very complicated relationship. So between 2013 and I think 2016-2017, Hamas was considered to be a simple uh, extension of the Brotherhood. It was smeared everywhere to the point where Israel was encouraged on TV to basically attack Gaza. Now the situation has shifted a little bit because Hamas has been cooperating a lot more with, with uh, the uh, regime. So the language is much less aggressive. But in the end, uh, what Sisi is basically trying to do is to contain the movement, uh, subdue it, uh, co-opt it. And whenever a flare-up happens, they would basically mediate to uh, uh, end the fighting. Sisi is also trying to kind of reconcile uh, uh, Fatah and uh, uh, Hamas, but in a way that would ensure Fatah's uh, dominance. It's not really kind of an even-handed mediation. So the Palestinian cause is not a priority. Even within the domestic sphere, um, I remember when I was younger, the, the Palestinian cause was always there. Now it's just let's say uh, attention is is really not that much on it anymore so the situation has changed dramatically there well let's let's move on then to gerd the grand ethiopian renaissance dam which poses significant threats to egypt in terms of water access um, how is sisi handling that particular issue uh, well, he's not really handling it particularly well, uh, to be fair. Uh, he doesn't really have a clear policy. So, besides prolonged, um, let's say, uh, negotiations, uh, there is no real policy towards changing Ethiopia's uh, stance. Uh, of course, the civil war there uh, has completely changed um, the uh, dynamic, uh, but the results are still not very clear, but what is clear is that he kept also talking about red lines and 
waiving the prospect of maybe a military uh, intervention, but realistically speaking, this is also very difficult to do uh, due to logistical reasons and the international support for something like this is also not there. And what would be the end game? Would you just destroy the dam and leave, or like what's 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 uh, the final uh, objective here? So. At the moment, he doesn't really have a coherent uh, policy, and the Ethiopians are clearly refusing any sort of co-management of the dam. So they are treating it as a, a sovereign uh, a issue, and CC can't really do can't really do uh, uh, much about that. Interesting, isn't it? Because that is of such crucial importance to Egypt and and yet despite this huge military uh, invest, investment that he's made uh, he seems quite powerless in the face of that situation absolutely uh, i wanted to also uh, you mentioned energy and and how important that is egypt has just signed a big energy deal with the italian company any but but overall, how is Sisi playing the politics of energy in the East Med theater, and how important are these energy deals to his overall approach to foreign policy? This is critical for him, especially uh, with his, uh, in terms of his relationship with the uh, Italians. So uh, any, I think, until twenty nineteen, has invested over thirteen billion in the country. The sector is basically the one sector where there is massive foreign uh, investment and he's using that to try to close the regime and to uh, basically try to get cash in. In terms of the Eastern Mediterranean, the basic logic again is to keep the Turks out. That's why the the, uh, Eastern uh, Mediterranean gas uh, form uh, was uh, created uh, excluding the Turks. However, there are some signs of a thawing. There are some signs that the relationship might change. The Turks are trying to kind of appease uh, Cairo, but the results of which are still not very clear. And again, it's mostly around domestic issues. So the thorniest issue is the Turks housing many uh, exiles, uh, especially from uh, the Brotherhood, and they are using Turkey as a base to basically uh, broadcast programs against the uh, regime. So there is space where they can both cooperate, uh, and Cairo can somehow. Sh- show more reasonableness uh, in uh, allowing uh, the Turks uh, into the uh, Mediterranean. But as I said, the trump card here are domestic issues rather than foreign like foreign uh, policy issues. Uh, Egypt is not really trying to compete with the Turks for uh, regional uh, influence. That's, that's not what's really happening here. And the Turks themselves, I mean, are they prepared to make concessions such as withdrawing from Libya in order to uh, do other deals with uh, Cairo? I think that that's extremely unlikely. That's why there are limits to this kind of thawing, right? So they might find areas of cooperation, but 
for example, uh, pulling out from Libya completely. I think for the for the Turks there is too much at the stakes there, including uh, investments, and they have a like they also have a, a very strong uh, alliances there. So I think it's very unlikely that they would actually pull out for that. But there might be an improvement in relationships somehow, but this until now nothing has really materialized besides some rhetoric of maybe the possibility of, uh, let's say, uh, normalization of uh, the relationship. But in reality, this hasn't really materialized as of yet. Um, so beyond the rhetoric, I think the the Turks as well have basically uh, shut down a few TV uh, stations, but nothing very concrete. So, but let's see. Uh, it's 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 it might develop differently, but I think it is hard for me to see the Turks pulling out uh, from um, uh, Libya. Very unlikely. Well, let's let's look now then at the relations with Washington because. Uh, Really, uh, the weapon sales are going through. Uh, the situation uh, seems even better now than they were when Joe Biden entered the White House a year ago. So has President Sisi retained the moniker that Donald Trump bestowed on him of uh, my favorite dictator? It uh, seems to be the case, uh, unfortunately. So Sisi was able to maneuver himself well. He, he kind of, uh, let's say... Uh, proved his value in the traditional sense by uh, mediating between the uh, Israelis and uh, uh, Hamas in the last war. And as I said, American influence, I think it's a bit exaggerated. I think it's very unlikely that the regime will change its policy dramatically because of any uh, American uh, pressure. Basically, repression is baked into the system. Even if you want to, to let up, it is extremely unlikely. It is very ideologically difficult for him to do that. And it is very hard to control the security uh, apparatus at this, uh, at this time, even if he wants to centrally do that. So the whole idea that because of American pressure, the regime is going to completely change, that's not very likely. Having said that, it doesn't mean that what the regime is actually doing should be supported and uh, endorsed, which is what's happening now, at least. Um, the regime is basically getting away with remarkable things. Like, I think recently they are now uh, uh, opening the largest prison complex, they say in the world. I'm not 100% sure if that's really uh, true or not. And they're making a documentary video uh, and a song about it. it it's, it's really surreal. So if this was happening anywhere else, this would be this would not pass by. But this is happening uh, by a regime that is a close European and American uh, ally, receiving billions in, in, in funds, in loans, investments, in uh, arms. It's extremely surreal for me just to see this happening. And in the neighborhood, uh, coups in Sudan and, and Tunisia, a soft coup as it's been called in Tunisia, they've sidelined hopes for democratic transitions in both those countries. So is that a boost for Sisi and uh, his brand of harsh authoritarian governance? 
Well, I would say Sisi is now being held as a bit of a role model uh, because from their perspective, he has been very successful. I'm not sure if they're a boost for him or he's a boost for them. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, 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 it's a bit of a chicken and, and, uh, and the egg equation here. So who's the boost for whom? I'm not 100% sure. Um, but what is clear is that he has been successful. Uh, he, the regime seems to be very stable. The question is for how long? And what would be the consequences of the policy that uh, the regime has been following now uh, for the better part of the eight years? So, yes, I would say it is definitely uh, a boost. Um, I think for him, for them, they kind of work together. Uh, but the point that I'm really trying to make here is that this regime is extremely dangerous, not just for the country but for the region and I think a lot of people are not fully understanding this they just think that the situation is now stable uh, the regime is there somehow the Egyptians are okay with it uh, but the consequences in the medium term not even the long term will be very dire and it will it will destabilize let's say North Africa at least and I think the regime's allies are either looking the other way or they're not completely understanding the dynamics and I don't know which one is worse because they are clearly uh, uh, complicit in what is happening and there will be consequences. Everybody now is calmly digging uh, their own grave at the moment. So as I said, it seems that lessons from the past are really not heeded and the learning curve is very, very flat. Okay. Um... <laughs> Every time we talk, I'm very cheerful, right? <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a grim, a, a grim scenario you paint. But but let me uh, move then to uh, CC's relationships with the Gulf states. Uh, who's most important to him, M MBZ or MBS? Oh, that's like picking between uh, Tweedledum and uh, Tweedledee, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's uh, I would say at the moment it remains the Saudis. Uh, the Saudis, are, I, like I would say, are less reckless than the uh, Emiratis. And they are still financially floating the regime, at least partially. Uh, I think last year they just deposited $3 billion in the uh, central bank. So they're still engaged from that side and they are less reckless in places like Libya. Uh, however, the regime didn't really deliver what they thought it would. So in the beginning, in 2013, 2014, there was a lot of talk about collective security. But when the time came and the war in, in, in Yemen basically kicked off, Egypt didn't really participate. It was mostly a symbolic uh, participation. I think it was a naval uh, participation, and that didn't last for long. As I said, the regime has no uh, appetite for any foreign uh, adventures. And Yemen specifically has very bad memories uh, in Egypt because of the war there in the 1960s. Um, so the regime also didn't deliver what it was supposed to, so it was somehow cornered 
to uh, basically uh, giving away two uh, uh, islands in the Red Sea to the Saudis, which is one of the few times where there was actually an opposition within the state for the decision. I think this was the first and only time that I've seen something like this, uh, publicly uh, at least. So the relationship is not as good as it used to be, but also the regime doesn't really need them as much as it did in the beginning. Uh, because now uh, it has normalized its relationship with the um, Europeans and the international uh, community. For example, I think the next climate change summit is happening in Sharm el-Sheikh, which is also an extremely surreal thing for me to, 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 to see. Uh, to see that such a massive international event is going to take place in a country where there are 60,000 political uh, uh, prisoners at least. So it also shows the position of the regime somehow. It's, it's, it's like me saying the next climate summit is going to happen, I don't know, in, uh, in um, uh, Pyongyang. So it, again, it's very odd. It's very odd. And the regime is going to use this domestically as a show of uh, power and uh, and how Egypt now is in a very good position uh, internationally, etc., etc. So all of this is really not helping. That's interesting. Yeah, because what you're saying there is that uh, he can say that the international community has accepted me. In some ways, it has not yet accepted Mohammed bin Salman. Exactly. Because the uh, Hash regime murder still hangs over the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was just because it was very public uh, and the guy was living in the States. But it, again, the hypocrisy is very strange to me. Um, I can uh, just uh, bring up Giulio Regini, the uh, PhD uh, student that was tortured to death over, I think, a period of 10 days uh, in Egypt, just because he was doing research. Um, and his case is not a one-off, um, and the consequences have been almost zero. There is no sanction. And as you say, I mean, the, the Italians are doing energy deals with CC. Not just that, they are doing uh, arms deals. So they are selling him massive arms. Uh, also, one of the things that uh, the French are, are doing, they are sending extremely sophisticated surveillance equipment and uh, systems which are used to spy on, uh, on, on uh, journalists, researchers, academics, uh, activists, and there is no issue with that, which again, something that is very, very hard to watch, and it will have consequences. Uh, there is a reason that when those regimes fall, people or, 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 or the regimes that follow are extremely hostile to the West. This is not something that just blows out of nowhere. Let's like uh, think of, of, of uh, uh, Iran. That's a very clear uh, example because they perceive the West as being implicated in what was happening to them. And of course, I use the term West broadly, right? Because the West can be anything. It's, it's, it's a very broad uh, term, which I really 
not a fan of, but I'll use it within this this uh, context. So that's why, and there will be consequences, and the regime will not survive for centuries. It will fall at some point. Um, so yeah, it's it's it just seems to me at least very short-sighted. Um, and as I said, the lessons from the past, which is not very old, are not read, are not understood, and that is very difficult to watch. Well, then finally, uh, Maigat, does Sisi see himself as the leader who will restore Egypt's prominence in the Arab world? Because there was a time when Egypt was the leader of the Arab world. That time is, is long gone. But do you think that's his, his sort of grand design? Does he have that? kind of ambition and would we see that reflected in his foreign policy objectives well he does and he doesn't so he does in the sense that he sees himself as a savior who will restore the uh, the international position of the country we also have to remember that one of the ideological pillars of of the regime is an extremely chauvinistic, nationalist, almost fascist version of uh, uh, Nasserism. So his logic there is that he will restore Egypt's position, but through uh, domestic uh, prosperity. So his logic is that he's going to build a ton of bridges, a ton of cities, and then everything will be fine. But in terms of actual foreign policy, of trying to kind of expand Egypt's regional reach or being involved in foreign theaters or uh, anything from that perspective, that is very unlikely. He might really talk a lot about red lines and basically kind of yell at his at 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 his uh, domestic uh, audience and just use very nationalistic rhetoric but in reality uh, that is very unlikely because the fear is that any defeat any flop any failure will destabilize him uh, back home very good thank you thank you very much bill thank you very much you've been listening to the arab digest podcast my guest today was Magid mandur a political analyst and writer for Open Democracy and SADA, and a regular contributor to the Arab Digest newsletter. In addition to our podcast, which I'm pleased to say I have a rapidly growing global audience, the Arab Digest newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to arabdigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees and subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest, essential reading from independent sources.